0: What's beneath the surface of true crime? Uncover brings you there with premium investigations that demand justice. Each season delves into a distinct case, from the inner workings of a cult to the disturbing legacy of residential schools. Promising new content year-round, Uncover will take you on a journey through explosive revelations with hosts dedicated to revealing the truth. Uncover, the best in true crime. Find it on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. One
1: of the biggest challenges facing people around the world right now is the rising cost of living we're still seeing the prices of food and energy being pushed up by pandemic-related supply chain disruptions and the ripple effects of the Russia-Ukraine war. But while inflation's continued to make headlines globally for the last couple of years, in Argentina, it's something people have been dealing with for much of the last 70 years and have kind of gotten used to. But even for them, what's happening right now is on a whole other level. This airport in Argentina's capital is filled with homeless people. It's a snapshot of an economic crisis that's getting worse. Last month, for the first time since the early 90s, inflation in Argentina soared past 100%. Right now, it's at around 104%, meaning that the price of a lot of consumer goods has more than doubled since 2022.
2: It's very hard, to be honest. I have two children, a husband. During the pandemic, my husband lost his job, and now we're working again, the two of us, but it's still not enough. It's not enough at all.
1: Nilda Osuna is a 45-year-old house cleaner. She talked to us while waiting for the bus home in Buenos Aires. Nilda works by the hour and earns around 80,000 pesos a month, which is around
0: 370 US dollars.
2: My husband is earning a little more as a construction worker. He earns 5,000 pesos per day. But if you go to the grocery store, A little tray of beef costs you 2,000 pesos.
1: Argentina's agricultural sector has been hit really hard by drought this year, and food prices have seen some of the highest increases. In the greater Buenos Aires region, the price of beef went up by 30 percent from January to February. And this is a big deal in Argentina, where beef has always been a staple, but for a lot of people is now a luxury. A normal trip to the grocery store for Nilda means spending more than a third of her monthly earnings.
0: Honestly,
2: with 30,000 pesos, you barely bring anything
0: home.
2: It hurts a lot. More for my children. When my husband had another job, he might have earned a little more. We could treat ourselves, but not anymore. Things are very
1: hard. Argentina's economy has been highly volatile for a lot of the last century, and many economists say the measures that successive governments have taken to try and fix it have only made the situation worse. Things like printing more money, artificially pegging the exchange rate, and taking massive loans from the International Monetary Fund. With 40% of the population living in poverty at the end of last year, Argentines have had to once again get creative about how to make ends meet. And it's resulted in some pretty interesting solutions. This week on the show, we're going to look at how they're coping. Natalie Alcoba is a freelance journalist based in Buenos Aires. She's also a former colleague and a good friend of mine who's been covering the situation for a while. She's going to walk us through what it's like to live in a place that's seeing triple-digit inflation, the root causes of this crisis, and how it's becoming a defining issue in Argentina's upcoming general election. I'm Tamara Kandacker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Hey, Nat. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be
0: talking to you about this. Me too. It's nice to hear your voice.
1: Yeah, it's nice to hear your voice too. And this isn't a happy story, but it's an important one. So I was wondering if we could start by just painting a picture of what inflation looks like on the ground in Argentina. So right now it's at 104%. And for context, for for people who are listening in Canada, the number that we're seeing is 4%. So can you walk me through what that means in a practical sense, what has it been like, for example, to do groceries for the last little while?
0: The word that continues to always resonate is disorienting, right? Like to be in a place where prices really are going up by double digits, sometimes on a, on a monthly basis. In many cases, you're walking into a store and you, and you really don't know what something is supposed to be worth. There's often also a, a really huge range from store to store, uh, from neighborhood to neighborhood, and all of which kind of creates this constant state of of confusion and and makes it really hard to figure out how to budget you know whether or not the purchases you're making are correct
1: right right so how do you plan if you have no idea how much things are going to cost when you're thinking of budgeting for
0: shopping that's the thing that you you can't do and that's that's the thing that Argentines will tell you time and again how how difficult it is to plan anything so you've got the the latest figures that just came out a few days ago said that in the last month the prices jumped by an average of of 10% but of course that's an average so if you drill down into the specifics you've got numbers that are really hard to even fathom like fruit fruit and vegetables up 15% in the last month eggs up 25% lettuce up 58% like there's a whole host of factors behind that but I don't I don't really know how to answer how you plan for it. I mean, it's ultimately about about buying less. I mean, here, of course, there are big grocery chains and there's the neighborhood grocery store, but a lot of people also buy their fruits and vegetables from the fruit and vegetable stand on the corner. Those merchants will talk about how they've seen the patterns of consumption change. So instead of going to buy a kilo of apples, people will go in and buy a couple, you know, whatever it is that they need immediately.
1: The other day I came and asked for three tangerines, two oranges, two bananas and a half a kilo of tomatoes. When he told me it cost 650 pesos, I told him to take everything out and leave just the tomatoes because I don't have enough money.
0: When I go t- to the grocery store or to buy Whatever it is I need, I, I don't know how much to bring with me. I'm usually working with cash. Uh, there will be scenarios where I just, I just didn't bring enough. I'm at the cash register and, I'm, and I just don't have enough. And so I adjust and, and take out a few items um, that I thought I was going to bring home. I've read quotes from people who've been interviewed just sort of on
1: the street. And there was this one guy who was saying, you never go shopping in only one place. You compare like five or six supermarkets and it's almost like a treasure hunt. So you'd go to to one store for detergent and another store for eggs. Do you find yourself doing stuff like that, too?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think many Argentines are searching around for that best option, uh, like that cheapest price. And so in fact, there's actually even apps that have been developed in which people can kind of do a quick survey of their neighborhood and see what the prices are on offer and pick and choose that way. So the mom-and-pop shop that you go to, the the small grocery store, I I know of one that they actually build WhatsApp groups that's filled with their clientele. So, you know, with thousands of members and the merchants are publishing, you know, the items that are on sale, uh, you know, different brands that they've brought in that are perhaps more affordable. They look for these alternatives, these workarounds that at least can give their customers some variety that's closest to the cheapest price point. Because, of course, in all of this, there's this dance that shop owners have to do, which is, you know, your providers are increasing the prices on you. And so then that means that you then need to figure out how to increase that uh, on your customers, but not doing so at at a rate that's so dramatic in which you scare your own clients. In terms of the average consumer, who
1: is hit hardest by all of this? Are there certain segments of the population that are impacted more?
0: Yeah, I I think without question, um, lower income earners are hit the hardest in this context. But this is something that like stretches even, even beyond that. I mean, even for a middle class family at this stage, it's hard to make ends meet. And, and I'm talking about people who have permanent work, you know, who know how much they're going to be earning, who may in fact even have in some cases, like the luxury of knowing that there is a, a, an increase built into their salary. So in that segment, it is difficult. Imagine how difficult it is uh, with all of the people. Argentina's economy is, you know, roughly almost 50% of it is informal. And by informal, I mean people who don't have a fixed salary, don't have steady work, of course, you know, don't, don't have labor protections, benefits, pensions, any of that. In that context, you know, it's even harder to keep up with inflation because so many other things have to happen before, <laughs> before you're able to advocate for your wages to go up.
1: You mentioned earlier these apps that people use as a way of comparing prices to cope. And I know that because Argentina has been dealing with high inflation for so many decades, people have had to figure out how to adapt. So aside from the example of those apps, can you tell me about some of the ways that people deal
0: with these price fluctuations? If you are somebody who is lucky enough to be able to save money, Uh, in this country, then you are turning to the U.S. dollar. And this is not something that is new in in the 100% inflation. This is happening for years. And in the face of that, the government has over the years, different governments have imposed currency controls, which actually limit how much foreign currency somebody can purchase. And currently that is you can buy 200 U.S. dollars at the official rate. So outside of that rate, you're turning to the street dollar, which is commonly referred to here as the dollar blue. Right now it's over 400 pesos for one U.S. dollar. So that's more than double the official rate. Uh, Even though it's technically illegal, it's, it's not the official rate. It's a huge benchmark and reference point. And there is this relationship, uh, real or perceived, between how things are going for you and what that, that rate is. That's one tool, uh, which is shielding your money with a harder currency. If you're somebody uh, like so many people here who really, who really cannot afford to do this, and in particular, this is speaking about the lowest income earners uh, in Argentina have have once again turned to bartering to get by. I mean, Argentina has has a history with bartering and bartering clubs in particular. After the economy crashed in in 2001, bartering became a very important form of, of survival. And, and at that stage, we were talking about millions of people across classes that had to exchange whatever goods they had to be able to survive. Now what we've seen, and for the last while or so, is bartering basically happening online. So I'm talking about dozens of Facebook groups uh, in which people will post photos about items that they have that they would like to exchange for food. You'll have somebody posting, you know, a pair of pants, shirt, and they may say, I'm looking for a bottle of oil, a bag of sugar, a satchel of milk. They'll be specific. And then in the comments section, it's kind of like an auction that ends up happening. People are doing this because they need to do this in order to feed their families. But then there's also like an angle of collective help. The third thing that I've observed and that I've you know, at first, it took me a minute to wrap my head around it because it's kind of counterintuitive, which is that in these times of crisis, people are actually spending their money rather than hold on to cash that they know is going to be worth a lot less in a month or two. When you receive your salary, do you spend as much? Do you as spend every- much I
2: can because uh, the next month is going to be really hard to buy stuff. We don't have money in Argentina. It's really hard to buy uh, dollars. And expensive, but I try to buy stuff that I can sell tomorrow to recover the money. Like in my case, uh, cameras, uh, analogic cameras to collection, and stuff like that.
0: They'd rather spend it now on, a, on hard goods. You know, furniture, uh, television, electronics. Um, there's a lot of purchasing that happens here in installments. All stores are like, buy such and such a thing. Six installments without interest, 12 installments without interest. This is a mechanism that shop owners use here in order to stimulate consumption and, and it works. Sometimes I I reflect on what all of this means and or what it says when a society is like in this constant uh, loop of crisis. Like, I really think that it's like created the situation in which people really are just living in the now. You really just have what's in front of you. And so you're making choices based on what you know now because you're quite certain that tomorrow things are going to change.
1: People have been finding ways to cope with this inflation. But what has the government been doing to help people
0: and to address this crisis? I mean, I think the most concrete action has been, or at least the one that would reach most people, has been various price control schemes. Um, And these are programs that typically last around three months. And there are agreements that the government hammers out with big grocery store chains on a list of products. So it's around 2,000 just grocery store products um, that they fix prices on uh, for this period of time. And so that means that when you go into a grocery store, you'll see like a little sign that says Precios Justos, which is the name of this program and uh, the particular uh, brand that's offered at this fixed price. The idea is that there is an option that people can turn to that is consistent. These arrangements though the the price control schemes are are ones in with uh, larger grocery store chains, so that means that there's a ton of mom and pop small um gros corner stores that don't have access to that same program. It just means that there is this program, but access to it. Varies. So there are all these other factors that get in the way of, of the effectiveness of that program. But it is the government's attempt at, at least in the short term, kind of uh, doing what it can to soften the blow. And then there are different subsidies that are available to different uh, sectors of society, lower income in particular, single mothers, uh, of course, increases to pension. But none of this really is ever really seen as enough.
1: We talked earlier about how 100% inflation for Argentina is high, but things have been trending this way for a long time and double digit inflation has been kind of the norm for a while. What do you think we need to understand about how Argentina got to this point?
0: I think we need to understand that this is um, that that inflation is is a chronic problem here as you say. I mean we're, we're talking dating back uh, decades, like to the early 20th century, it was double digit inflation. And and over the course of its history, it has had moments of peaks, huge peaks that oftentimes is paired with political instability. Like in the 60s and the 70s, great deal of instability, peaks of 400 of percent inflation. Can't even fathom what, what that would be like. But then came an even more difficult time in the 1980s of, of hyperinflation, 1989 in particular, when there was more than 3000% inflation in one year and when you know when i've been out reporting on this issue in in these last few years people will talk about that time like it's kind of seared in their collective memory of you know a dime when you would go out and the prices were changing by the hour that then led to this period of what i think we can call like fictional stability in the 1990s when the government Essentially, pegged its currency to the US dollar for that decade, something that was unsustainable and that paved the way for the notorious financial crisis of 2001 when the economy collapsed, the currency completely devalued. There were five presidents in two weeks, you know, violent crackdown as people went to the street to protest. So after essentially like the bottom fell out, Argentina found its footing again, like in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, it was a period of growth was kind of also partnered with the fact that there was a commodity boom around the world. And that really helped Latin American economies, I mean, that that boom driven by economic growth in China. But it meant that there was this period of relative stability uh, in Argentina, which the country was able to pay off its debts. I guess what we see is this roller coaster, right? Like these up and down periods, you know, that that stability, uh, unfortunately, was relatively short lived. And so by 2010, 2012, inflation's once again starting to creep up. Um, 2015, a new government and the government ends up. Once again, taking out uh, an enormous loan from the International Monetary Fund, which is a very controversial loan that continues to be a big point of contention now because it once again thrust Argentina into this cycle of having huge bills to pay and really no way to pay them. You layer on top of that the pandemic, which created this this global instability and exacerbated things even further and in Argentina as well in these in this this last year for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's been going through this this brutal drought, which in a country, a breadbasket nation that really relies on its agricultural sector for revenue and and export, you know, that's that's been a huge part of its own economic struggle. So it's it's like this cocktail of factors that create this turbulent environment here.
1: That's all really really interesting history and kind of illustrates just how complicated this issue is. I wanted to pick up on what you said about the IMF, so. I know Argentina has borrowed a lot of money from the IMF to help address some of these issues, like this loan that you mentioned mm-hmm. in 2018, $57 billion, which was renegotiated to $44 billion in 2022 because Argentina, from what I understand, was struggling to keep up with its uh, debt repayment plan. And you mentioned that this has been really controversial. And I've seen that there have been politicians and activists saying that Argentina shouldn't pay back its loans or take any more money from the IMF. Could you just unpack that a little bit more? Why is this relationship with the IMF so controversial?
0: Here in Argentina, essentially, like the IMF is is considered to be a, a villain, right? Like its presence in Argentina is seen as, by many people, as opportunistic. Typically, you know, these loans come with prescriptions that are tough for people to swallow. You know, austerity measures, everything from raining in social spending, you know, cutting back on energy subsidies, all things that, in this context at least, like people feel that they need more help, not not less. And so that drives people to go out to the street uh, to kind of protest uh, this presence of this of this international uh, financial institution that, that they see as illegitimate. And you're right, there is a school of thought here that says that Argentina is actually better off defaulting than, than paying, you know, the, these enormous sums of money when, you know, there's people that don't have enough food to put on the table, you know, that has a very high rate of poverty at around 40%.
2: Thousands of people in front of the presidential palace demanded the
1: government to prioritize the people instead of the IMF. Jorge Altamira has been a lawmaker for years.
2: The government is renegotiating the agreement and they know they won't be able to pay it. And in two years we will have the same problem. We cannot pay back that amount of money without strangling the poorest.
0: You know, on the other hand, uh, people say that if it if it defaults, uh, you know, every time it defaults, that affects its ability to borrow money, which chokes it in other ways. We're in an election year once again. And so the question of inflation, the question of this legitimacy of the IMF deal is front and center. How big
1: of an election issue do you think this do you think inflation is going to be this October?
0: It's one of the defining issues and and it certainly makes it a lot more difficult for the government to get reelected. I mean, the, the current government's popularity is dismal. Um, you know, th- this context of how difficult it was in the pandemic, it's like that isn't you know, people don't see that as as an excuse. And many people generally think that the economy has been mismanaged. There is a candidate, a libertarian candidate, a Trump-like politician here who is running for president, who's talking about how Argentina should make the U.S. dollar its its official currency, which is, you know, an idea that's floated every now and then and is highly controversial. And, and, and certainly like economists here talk about how it would be a massive shock to the system. You know, salaries immediately dropping in value, dramatic devaluation. On the other hand, people say that's exactly what Argentina needs, a massive shock to the system. So that, that's where we're at with the debate.
1: The libertarian candidate you're talking about is
0: Javier Millet, right? Yeah, that's right. He's an economist who kind of rose to fame as as a pundit, you know, really has taken this this anti-establishment narrative and, and talked about how they're all out to steal your money. People are seeing him as an alternative. They are tired of the current situation. There's just deep fatigue, the same thing repeating over and over again.
1: I've seen a lot of really pessimistic takes on this crisis. Like a lot of experts saying Argentina needs to do like a fundamental economic overhaul. Nothing that the government's done so far has really been helping. I also just read this article in Bloomberg where someone put the question of how to solve the inflation crisis in Argentina to chat GPT. (laughs) Wow. And even chat GPT could not solve the problem. That's where we're at. So just like given the kind of fatigue that you're talking about, I'm wondering, like, what are you hearing from people of what they want to see? I know you've interviewed people about this. Do do people feel the same way or are there solutions that they're talking about and and sort
0: of getting behind? I just was, was chatting with people about the current economic crisis. And I don't know. I mean, it may have just been the way the conversations went, but they can't even think about solutions because, you know, they're... Their concerns are so immediate and, and day-to-day. So they are uh, not really expecting or, or relying on some kind of macro change that's going to suddenly make things easier for their family.
2: We're trimming back everywhere. I'm the only one who's working in my family, my husband lost his job, my son is working, but he earns very little. So we're just cutting back as much as possible.
0: There's also, for the most part, this feeling of not knowing um, who who to trust to make things better. Um, but for the average person, you got to take care of yourself and take care of your community. I, I do think that Argentina... You know, in the face of these recurring crises, uh, many Argentines have kind of turned to the collective, to their neighborhood, to their school, to, amongst their family. So there is that sense of of turning to each other to get through it. It's a it's an incredibly resilient society. Like that's that's what I take away from it. You know, like in spite of all of this and all of these problems, like Argentines do survive and have have figured out how to make it to tomorrow.
1: Nat, thank you so much for this conversation. It was super interesting and I hope people check out your reporting on this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I
0: really appreciate your interest. It was good to talk to you.
1: All right, that's all for this week thank you so much for listening our producer is joyta shangupta and our sound designer is yvette sin our senior producer is elaine chow the executive producer of nothing is foreign is nick mckay Blocos. special thanks this week to natalie alcoba and paulina abad nothing is foreign is a co-production of cbc news and cbc podcasts our theme music is by joseph chavison I'm Tamara Kendacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.
0: For more CBC podcasts, go to CBC.ca/podcasts.